This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is episode 224. This is your boy, East Coast Trev, and I'm joined with my good buddy, Mr. Madman Mardik. I'm not even mad. Why do you keep calling me that? Ah, the Madman. What up, Madman? What up, brother? Hey. So, I know that this podcast, guys, is a little bit special. We had some some really good guests on, some friends of mine locally, um, here here in Connecticut. Mike is somebody that I honestly is is a, is a great role model, somebody that, you know, is a great storyteller, somebody that I met not all that long ago, but I've spent a lot of time talking to him on the dock and always wanted him to have him on the podcast, right? And Mike is one of those just amazing storytellers, very humble guy, um, kind of been been there, done that, seen it, done it kind of guy, but doesn't really talk about it, you know, and now I'll give you a little background, obviously. Um, invited me up to his house one day. I used to trade him uh, some uh, some racks from the charter boat for, you know, lobster bait. He's a lobsterman, scallopman here. Um, very very looked up to guy. Um, him and his, his cousin Brad ended up joining us. I got to go to his house and see some of his trophies. And and Mike's an incredible, incredible outdoorsman, and, and so is Brad. And uh, we, we were blessed to have him on the podcast and always wanted to have him on the podcast, but never knew the right situation to have him on. And this is the right situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he endured, him and Brad endured some, some crazy stuff and something that, you know, not everybody would come forth and talk about, but something that everybody needs to know. And Mike had reached out to me and and wanted to 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 share the message and a message that we are vulnerable in the situation that we put ourselves in every single year and going and traveling on hunts um so that's what this podcast is about and i hope that everybody can kind of take a little bit from it and maybe be a little bit more aware of their surroundings and kind of think a little bit more you know um because I think it's kind of important, and I hope that you know maybe one day if somebody's ever put in this situation that they could you know just look back and and kind of think about this this situation and hopefully it will it'll change the outcome of the situation that you're putting yourself into so um listen up here um we're gonna get right into it we're gonna kind of skip the intro, something that we normally don't do, but we're gonna thank our sponsors and then we'll kind of get the boys on. What do you think, madman? I like it. All right. First off, we are title sponsored by Huntworth, Huntworth Gear. Um, they are probably, you know, they are the home of the heat boost. 
And mm. heat boost is probably one of the most incredible things when it comes to uh, camouflage. It is actually a graphite woven um, graphite. Graphene. I always lose that. Uh, <laughs> material. Also anti-wicking and um, I mean it's it's wicking and also anti-outdoor. Yeah, it's it's some of the greatest need, stuff ever. I need Huntworth to come out with some Huntworth sweatpants. Yeah. I had some Huntworth sweatpants. I would just live in Huntworth for the entire month of November. Dude, I wear my Durham pants, my brown ones, all the time. I'm like wearing them out. Honestly, I wear them and every time that they're washed. What? Come on now. Wear the germs to work? Yeah, I wear them anywhere I can. Well, those are camouflage ones because I fell in the swamp, but whatever. So you guys go and check them out, huntworthgear.com. Um, get everything that you possibly could need. There's always great sales, so always pay attention to them, huntworthgear.com. Also, Latitude Outdoors, latitudeoutdoors.com. You guys that are thinking about getting into the mobile world and saddle hunting, um, there is the Carbon SS Sticks, which is a great game changer when it comes to mobile hunting. Everybody that's used them absolutely loves them. We've hunted with them for the entire season. The packability and the usability is probably far none probably some of the best climbing sticks that there is in the market um make sure to check those guys out and the promo code outdoor drive for that one save yourself a couple of bucks there uh nor'easter game calls nor'eastergamecalls.com some of the greatest stuff i know i keep saying it but we believe in our sponsors and we just don't do it to do it like they are family to us so mark um is i call him my adopted father i adopted him so um incredible stuff over there as the seasons start to progressively go on coyote season's coming into effect think about that turkey season's right around the corner um there's actually a new owl call that is in the works and in the makes and will be here for the spring i can promise you that all of our turkey calls the mouth calls the pot calls you you name it we got it so get on over to nor'eastergamecalls.com and last but not least bowhunters united bowhuntersunited.com also the home of the ata so that's where they come from make sure to get on their website it's a free uh membership and sign up for their newsletter to stay up to date for your all of your bow hunting needs so bowhuntersunited.com Mardik, without further ado, buddy, unless you got something crazy. Thing. I got one thing See, real quick. you always got one thing. I didn't talk in this I know. episode. I just sat there and I kicked back and just put <laughs> right. it all in. All right. And Let it have one it. one thing I want to say. What's that? Trust in your gut. Because the only thing that we didn't really, it never really came out in the episode. And that goes for when you're in the field, you know, you, you got that feeling, you know, maybe the deer's over here. or Maybe I should sit this tree. You should always trust your gut. And that also applies to life itself. You know, you get that feeling, you should trust your gut. And I think this story, as the listeners will listen to it, you will see multiple times throughout this podcast where Mike and Brad trusted their gut and thank God that they did. Without further ado, let's get on into the episode. All right, guys, we are back on the phone with Mike and Brad, who actually are cousins. You guys have not heard their voice yet on the podcast, but the message of this podcast is pretty cool. How you guys doing, Mike and Brad? How's everybody? 
We're doing great, guys. Happy to be here. Excellent. We appreciate you guys jumping on, man. Without further ado, let's put this thing right in four-wheel drive. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about what you guys do. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I guess I'll go first. Uh, my name is Mike Tyler. I'm from uh, Waterford, Connecticut, where, I, where I, uh, I'm a commercial fisherman. But I've always had a passion for the outdoors and uh, spend a lot of my waking hours. If I'm not, if I'm not hunting, I'm, I'm thinking about hunting. Uh, been all over the world and quite a number of adventures. And Brad and myself, uh, uh, we're cousins, as, as Trevor said, and we grew up together. So um, we've been able to, to share a few uh, adventures together and hope to be on a few more. Yeah, I'm Brad Bishop from northern Wisconsin. Um, and uh, I'm a real estate investor. I uh, used to be a carpenter for 25 years and decided I had to up my game a little bit. Um, but like Michael, my passion for hunting uh, it drives everything. Um, you know, trying to give yourself more time out in the woods all the time. And um, lately it's been more uh, out of state than in state, um, which is really what I enjoy, you know, j jumping around. I'm mostly a bow hunter. So where did the whole passion for you guys start? I mean, you guys are a little bit older than we are, and guys have probably seen a lot more states and done a lot more hunting than we have. But where did it all kind of start um, start and instill in, in you guys? Probably for myself, it was, uh, you know, from my dad. My dad was from northern Wisconsin and a school teacher. So the summers, we would spend the summers out at some family property out, out in Wisconsin, right? near where Brad lives and, and, uh, you know, more than hunting, he instilled the love for the outdoors. So anything outdoors and, and my real passion used to be fishing, but when I, when it became a vocation, when I, when it became my occupation, then all of a sudden, you know, I looked for something else to, to, you know, to share that same experience and to kind of be able to, to, uh, you know, decompress a little. And, and I found it in the woods rather than, you know, originally where it was in the water. But, uh, um, like I said, I, I also share the same, uh, love for traveling and, and going places and meeting people and seeing different things. So, um, yeah. I, I would say mine started, believe it or not, with my barber, uh, back when I was, I, I don't even remember how old nine, maybe. Um, and my, my barber was an avid bow hunter and, uh, he sold me my first bow. I had to, you know, cry and beg and kick to, for my dad to buy me this bow. And it was an American archer bobcat. I still have it. Um, and I started practicing in the backyard, uh, put an arrow through the middle of an apple tree, you know, just, I had arrows going every which way. Um, and that kind of started it. And then I got away from it a little bit, but then I got back into it with, uh, just a driving passion. And, uh, it's, uh, my dad, my dad got me started a little bit. I would say he took me out. He wasn't, he wasn't a big hunter by any means, but, uh, you know, he'd take me out and put me out in the woods and I would freeze to death, you know, like almost to the point where you didn't enjoy it. You know, your feet, you didn't have the adequate footwear. You didn't have uh, gloves. You didn't have the hand warmers and stuff you have today. But uh, I still persevered, and uh, you learn all that stuff as you go, and, and now it's quite a bit more enjoyable. 
So what made it so that you two guys were actually hunting together? Because, I mean, there's a big separation between the two of you as far as living, you know, Mike being in Connecticut and you being in Wisconsin. Like, what made you guys start to hunt together, or when was the first time that you did hunt together? I think we used to talk on the phone quite a bit, and, and I, I wasn't into bow hunting like Brad was, but but just, you know, listened to him and and I was always, Brad probably doesn't know this, but I was always very envious of you when you, you know, would be able to take off and go trapping, you know, across the, the western states there. And I thought, man, you know, that that's really what I want to do. I want to go, you know, trapping out west, bobcats and, and um, you know, so so that's really, you know, was my probably the 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 focus of, you know, my bow hunting was was playing catch up to to what you what you've done brad well i'd say you caught up and surpassed it by all the uh <laughs> you've been on <laughs> now so we started putting we, we put in for tags you know in other states and stuff and, and started to draw a few um we were lucky enough to draw a uh a tag in new hampshire for moose um we got a bull it wasn't exactly the way we had mapped it out uh but uh, we did get a bull a, a real nice bull um we've turkey hunted together uh, and then shared some experiences in other states missouri uh bow hunting there and um uh, you know got some mutual friends out in iowa and such so so um, so how do you with you guys being separated like that and i know like we have a lot of listeners that like to travel hunt or whatever but like how do you go about like the scouting aspect and especially not being very close together yeah, well, on this particular hunt, this this was an elk hunt in New Mexico, and I had done some guiding in a neighboring um, uh, a unit back in, I think I shot bulls in 2013 and 14 in a neighboring unit. So I kind of knew a little bit about what to expect, um, but, but for the most part, on this particular hunt, it was we're going to get there four or five days early and put some boots on the ground and find some elk, and and we were very fortunate that that's actually exactly how it planned played out. I mean, we were as far as elk going, elk hunting goes, we we definitely, I mean, I booked this cabin on the Airbnb and I just wanted to be away from the crowds. I knew where the crowds were going to be, and we just kind of went in the opposite direction. Well, all right, we went right into it. So why don't we just dive right in and let's let's talk about this specific hunt that you guys gone on and and kind of the reason why we had you here. So why don't you uh, talk about this specific hunt because it's kind of cool and I know that <coughs> excuse me, me and Mike had actually talked about it. <coughs> excuse me. Wow. You all right? no me and you mike actually talked about it and we were wondering about you know you were asking about the unit and whatever if we had some friends in the unit and stuff so obviously you were doing some background hunt but it was cool that you were doing the muzzleloader so why don't you dive into it and kind of tell everybody a little bit about it yeah so it, it so initially um in all honesty it, it wasn't supposed to be brad and myself so i have another friend of mine that's a lobsterman up in up in um up on the Cape and we've hunted probably six of the last seven years together. And, uh, we, we've been putting in for tags in New Mexico, maybe six or seven years. And I haven't drawn since 2014, but we put a party application in every year. 
And sometimes it's the two of us. Sometimes it's along with my wife who hunts as well. And so we, you know, with the fishing and trying to coordinate, it's usually 4.30 in the morning on the day that the hunt is, you know, the, 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 the application is, is, um, you know, you have to put the application in by. So we put the application in and, and then later on that day, I thought to myself, well, you know what, I'm going to put in for, um, one of the sheep units as well. So I went in and amended my application. And what I didn't do was I forgot to add the group. Uh, you have to have a group number that you add at the end as a party leader. And then, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I forgot to put the group number in. So come, I don't know, it was April, maybe March, you know, I get an email, you're successful. And I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. So I call you know, Bo up and I'm like, listen, we just drew, we just drew it's great units. He's like, I didn't draw. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't draw? He's like, I didn't draw. I'm like, well, there must be some kind of computer problem. So I called the, you know, fishing game. And finally someone says, no, you guys weren't on the same party application. I'm like, how can that be? And they're like, well, you went back in about seven o'clock in the morning and changed your application. Now he's never elk hunted before. That's like his dream hunt. I told him, listen, if we both draw, I don't care if I shoot one or not. I just want to be part of the hunt. I can, you know, I can, I, I, ha- I know, have enough knowledge that I can probably find a few elk. So as it turned out, um, he didn't end up going. And as you know, Trevor, I was trying to find someone to go and trying to find as much information as possible. And my wife was going to go. And actually, Brad and I spoke about bringing both of our wives and, and, you know, most of the hunting's done in the morning or in the evening. And it's just nice being out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this town that we went to, the name of the town is Weed, Weed, New Mexico. The population is 63. So, you know, it was a, a cabin we rented on the, on the edge of this big ranch. And, and it went right into Forest Service property. So we could literally just walk out the door and start hunting, you know. Um, it didn't, uh, you know, we ended up, uh, scouting some more areas other than just the ranch and just the forest service behind it. But, you know, pretty much we were right in the thick of things, but I had asked Brad early on, um, when Bo said he, he wasn't going to go if he'd have a tag. And I think we probably hashed it over a few times, Brad. I think we talked on the phone a couple of times. And mm-hmm. when you finally said that you were go going to go, I was just absolutely thrilled brad is probably one of the best woodsmen probably the best woodsman that i know and and i don't mean just hunting just everything to do with the hunt so uh, i was just thrilled to have him with me and i knew that one way or another that this this trip would end up being successful and so obviously you guys got there a couple of days early and started scouting and kind of, I mean, go right into it and, and how yeah, you so guys, as, as you guys traveled out there and kind of the steps and procedures you guys went through. So I left uh, Connecticut like four o'clock in the morning on, on Sunday the 8th and the season didn't start till the following Saturday. So I drove out to, to Iowa and, and Brad's wife, Sandy, brought him down to Iowa. We met there slept for a couple hours and then headed, you know, basically south, southwest to, towards New Mexico. I think we stopped maybe in Texas or Oklahoma for a few hours, like three o'clock in the morning. But for the most part, we kind of got on it and got down there. 
and and by um i think it was midday tuesday we were we were there at the cabin and um but it was kind of a funky setup like you know like the lady that owned the cabin great you know real nice woman like she didn't even want to give me the code to the door because no one locks the door you know she you you don't need the code to the door i just leave the door open all the time and i'm like i'm from the east coast maybe you better give me that code you know, so when we got just there, the being door unsure, was wide open. just being unsure, there, wide open, right? Um, but it was a very comfortable camp, right, Brad? I mean, it was great, it was, it was beautiful, right on the edge of a pasture. And actually, one night, Brad saw a monster bull in, in the pasture right in front of the cabin there with, with some cows. Um, but it was a great spot, and we got there, we kind of settled in. And, uh, but both of us were pretty shot just from traveling, right? I've been in the car for two days, basically in the truck. And I, I've got a big Dodge pickup truck with a, a, a blue fish box, like a blue, a blue vat that we'd put tuna fish in. And I had, so I was silver pickup truck with a blue vat in the back. I put a ton of ice in and uh, three quarters of a ton of ice in there. And believe it or not, I still had ice in that vat two weeks later after I'd been home for a week and a half. But, uh, so we pull up to the camp, we get settled in and, and uh, go out scouting. And, and wouldn't you know, son of a gun that first night, we, we saw some bulls. You know, mm-hmm. I don't remember how many we saw, but I mean, they were definitely had some bone on them. They're bulls and cat and cows, I think, Brad. Yeah. You know, so, so we were, we knew right then that we were kind of in, you know, we were kind of in elk country and we we're in the right spot. So, um, you know, we made some dinner and, kind of got our things set and went to bed. And then I had the room in the front towards the, towards the porch and, uh, one in the morning, bam, 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 someone's banging on the front door. And I thought to myself, well, I'm just lit, you know, hearing things. And then they started banging again. I got up and answered the door. I mean, there's no cell service out there. You got to remember there's no cell service. There's really like there was no traffic on. There was a dirt road with the, excuse me, the cabin was on. There's no traffic there or anything. I mean, there there was the ranchers and his sister's house. I think on that, maybe three houses on that road. But then you yeah. could go an awful long ways in the other direction, till there was you know there was no houses. It wasn't like where we live or anything. You know, pretty. Yeah. Once we left Cloudcroft, I think there was wasn't really too much. Right, we got. Fuel and Cloudcroft, which was maybe 40 or 50 miles away, I think. That's on about right, Brad? Yeah, you, you keep going down the road we were on, you run into um, into Mexico. Yeah, so so there wasn't really much there. And and uh, so this guy's banging on the door, and I didn't know if it was the landowner. I didn't know, you know, I'm not too much of an internet guy, so I'm thinking, well, Jesus, maybe... Maybe we're in the wrong cabin. I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> so I answer the door, and here's this guy, and he's got his sweatshirt all pulled over his hood like a bonnet. And uh, I said, you know, I didn't really open the door much. I'm like, can I help you? And he pulls his, his sweatshirt back, and he says, yeah, my my truck's broke down. He says, I think I'm out of gas. So I said, well, I got a gas can in the back of my truck. Just take it. You can have it. He's like, ah, you know. I'm in a bad spot. The truck's right in the middle of the road, uh, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, 
I'll, I'll get dressed and I'll, you know, I'll give you a hand. I mean, what are you going to say? No, I, you know what I'm saying? You're in the middle of nowhere, right? If I was broke down, where the hell are you going to go? So that's kind of where things started getting kooky. I got Brad up and I told him that someone was at the door and I'm not going to say we we're armed and I'm not going to say we're, we weren't armed because <laughs> maybe you need a permit in, in some of these states that maybe you wouldn't have if you lived on the East Coast. But I did tell Brad to sit in the back seat. You know, I've seen enough Godfather movies that, and Brad agreed, you know, you see enough Godfather. Vito's always in the back seat. You know, he's not sitting in front. He's got the piano wire ready to choke someone out. So I sat Vito, my cousin Vito, in the back seat. And this guy gets in and he, he starts telling us about, you know, his buddy that shot an elk and how he was, you know, out all day. And I'm thinking, this guy doesn't look like an elk hunter. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not covered in blood. You know, if you, if you would spend a day working on elk, your, your sleeves would be all bloody. You, you know what I'm saying? It just didn't, things didn't seem to add up. So we drive the guy out and we get to his truck and it wasn't in the middle of the road, like he said. And the other thing was the first thing both of us noticed is he's got no license plate on the back. So... Mm. When we were talking about the elk hunting, both Brad and I know a little bit about seasons and legality. And I said to him, you know, oh, would you shoot it with? He says, oh, we shot. I shot it with a rifle or my buddy shot it. I think he said his buddy shot it with a rifle. Right, Brad? That's buddy shot it with, yeah, a rifle. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, well, we just got done with bow season late. You know, there was early bow season, then second season. Then there was like four or five day break. You had a youth hunt in there somewhere, but then you went right into muzzleloader season and then you went to rifle season. So this idea that he shot this with a rifle all of a sudden isn't really setting very well with Brad and I, but we don't want to put the guy in, you know, we're not going to try to force the guy into a corner, right? We just want to get him on his way, fill, fill him up with gas and get him on his way. And you guys are there muzzleloader hunting as it is. So you already yes, know. It was muzzleloader season right. in four days. Right. The season wasn't open when we were there. Mm -hmm. That I know of. There might have been a mobility impaired two-day hunt, something like that. But the season wasn't open. It certainly was a rifle season. So mm -hmm. so he told us where he, where he had supposedly shot this elk, which was close by. So it was definitely our unit. unit. And, and when I asked him about the license plate, he says, ah, you know, these bumpy roads, it fell off. I got it here in the back seat. But the whole truck was dirty except for where that license plate was. Mm. If, he had, if he had been going down those bumpy roads, that license plate would have been just covered in mud like the rest of the truck, right? Mm -hmm. So by now, both Brad and I are thinking to ourselves, man, something just isn't, something just isn't clicking. But you got to remember that these criminals, right, these people have a way of manipulating you. So we start, you know, we get out of the truck, I give him the gas can, and he starts with, ah, you know, these new gas cans, geez, you can't hardly, you know, it's so hard. And I know what he's talking about. You know, the new gas cans, you got to mm -hmm. stick the nozzle and push it in. And he's like, can you pour this gas for me? And I'm thinking for a minute, I, I don't think so. I said, ah. I'll hold the flashlight. It's your truck. You pour the gas. Geez, that's a great flashlight you got there. Boy, that thing's really bright. Hey, you mind? Well, I'll pour this gas. You mind seeing if anything's leaking out the bottom? I think I got a leak in that tank. 
And I'm thinking, there's no way in heck I'm crawling under this truck. I said, it's going to be light in a couple hours. You could see all around the truck. You know, so now I'm thinking, man, this guy's really trying to play us a little bit, you know. So he puts the gas in, and I tried to look over his shoulder, like look in the truck a little bit, but he kind of blocked he kind of blocked me from looking in the truck. And um, the real kicker is, I know you're a very upstanding guy, and you mad man, you seem like you are. You probably never ran out of gas in your life, but the rest of us guys, we run chainsaws and friggin' boats and everything else out of gas. And it is a, I can't even say the word, but it's very difficult to get something started once you're running out of gas. Mm-hmm. That guy turned the key. That freaking truck started right up. Right, Brad? Absolutely. That freaking truck started right up. And we, we just looked at each other and I'm like, all right, there's not a word that came out of this guy's mouth that has any truth of it, you know, to it. Brad, what are so, you thinking about in the back seat as you're driving down the road? Because now you guys can't communicate with one another while this is going on. Like, you're. Yeah, I'm just keeping a close eye on this guy because I don't know what he what his intentions are. You know, you like to think that everybody has the best intentions, um, but at the same time, here you are at night going by flashlight, and I just I'm just, I just stayed in the truck and I just kept an eye on him. And uh, I did. I wasn't privy to what was going on, what was being said out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I just and I noticed the tags right away too. You just you just pick up on little things, and uh, when things don't add up, it's usually because the truth isn't part of the equation. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything that he was saying, like Michael said, it wasn't adding up. So we get the guy on his way. And, and Brad and I talked about it in the truck, like if this guy comes back to the house, we're, we're all done with him. This is our, this is our deed right here, but there's something that's not right. And the guy, it, 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 this is going to sound really kind of kooky, but he had a very strange odor to him. It wasn't like BO. It wasn't like booze. I don't know if you noticed that Brad, he just had a very, like I'm, I'm next to the guy and, and I'm thinking, man, this is just a, a very strange foul odor, and uh, I I don't really know how to explain it. Um, I don't know if it's a smell of evil or if it was a smell of meth or something. That they, I mean, but it was just a very very peculiar odor. And if I ever smelt it again, I think I'd really lose my lose my you know cookies. I, I just so we get back to camp. We both get you know go back to bed, and. Um, I didn't well, think the, anything the else. Let me just jump in here for a sec, Mike, because he drove off ahead of us, and he turned down the road. We got to turn down. I'm like, well, where the heck is he going? Yeah, that's right. I didn't even realize he was down the same road. It, it just, it just that just struck me as odd. But at the same time, you know, we were done with him, and uh, I just let it go. But the road ended. The road ended maybe a quarter mile past the camp, not much more than a quarter mile. And there was a gate that went into forest. There was a ranch and then it went to forest service property. So there was no place for him to go. It was basically a dead end road. We found out later that he'd been up there for a week or so, week and a half. And actually the rancher's wife um, had seen his truck and wanted to report it to the sheriff's department. But when she walked the dog up there, the dog started growling at the guy's truck and she got this very strange feeling. We found this afterwards that she got this very strange feeling. Someone was watching her 
So she just slipped her hand inside her purse to her to her pistol and just kept walking and then didn't walk back there again, at least till till after the whole incident, I guess. And that's one of the things out there, obviously, like New Mexico and some of these western states, like everybody has a gun. Like everybody carries, like that's a normality of life. Like firearms everybody carries a firearm. I mean, they're walking their dog and carrying a firearm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I mean, on one hand, they don't lock the doors, but on the other hand, yeah, they, they, I mean, the rancher was carrying and you know, his wife, she said that she did. And mm-hmm. yeah, our friend Lance, he carries, I mean, they're not obvious, obvious about it, but yeah. Um, so anyhow, so we go back to bed and then in the morning we get up and we go to a high point. And we start glassing again, and and once you know, we we got some more elk. Um, did we go down the draw that day, or we we up by the? I don't even remember exactly. I think we went up to the top of the hill there, and uh, where we were the night before. Yeah, I think so. Have, we were there the, the the night before, and we wanted to see what the morning activity was. Yeah, I think we were back in the same spot, and and you know definitely saw elk. So so we go back to camp, and and Brad's a carnivore. So, so he's making like three dozen eggs for himself and a couple pounds of bacon. <laughs> and he's got the, uh, he's, he's got the, the exhaust fan going. So, you know, this might be 10 o'clock in the morning and I hear what sounds like someone talking, uh, like on the ring camera or something like, you know, like a radio. And I'm thinking, well, what the heck is that? So I listen and I hear something again, you know, and I, you know, like I said, the, the exhaust fans going, the eggs are crackling, the bacon. And, you know, so I walk out in the front porch and I'm greeted with, get your hands in the air, get your hands in the air, get your hands where I can see them. And, and the, the whole street is lined with, you know, sheriffs and state police and, and they got the house surrounded. These guys don't have pistols. These guys got, rifles pointed at me and i'm like it, it it's like time slowed down right and and all i said was you got the wrong guy and then they're like get your hands and i'm like yes sir yes sir uh, my hands are my hands are up i'm walking backwards to your voice i you know i got a knife in my front pocket and i'm trying to maintain some kind of respect for them because the last thing i need to do is get shot by one of these guys that that thinks i'm making the wrong move right so i have to say that they were very respectful they cuffed me and you know i i wasn't face down in the dirt with some guy's knee in the back of my head they cuffed me they frisked me they emptied my pockets they put me in the in the truck and i tried to maintain some sort of you know, dialogue with them. Um, I'm not going to say they were pleased with us, but they, they certainly weren't, um, they certainly weren't abrasive or it was very to the point. Like they didn't want to hear nothing I had to say. They want to know who else was in the cabin and how are they going to get them out? And, and I just, they, so they stuck me, they cuffed me and stuck me in the back of a sheriff's vehicle. And then of course, Brad took his time cooking the bacon, making sure it was completely done while I'm sitting back there. And it had, it was quite a while. I'm not going to say it was, I mean, it was like, 
when you're in the back of the police car with these guys all, you know, surround the house, I mean, it had to be eight minutes or so. I'm trying to think of how long it was. It wasn't like, like he just walked out. I'm not sure if you had a spatula in your hand or not, but I know when you walked out, you looked about bewildered as I did. I was just afraid that he left the bacon on the stove and the house was going to go up in flames. Brad's eating the whole breakfast before he decides that he wants to. He's like, "Oh, where's Mike?" Right? <laughs> Why well, does you know Mike's? Uh, he he can have a long story with anybody. So I figured if he ran into some because he went out to check what's going on, and uh, I said, "Well, he must have run into somebody." Um, so I just kept cooking away, cooking away, and like he said, it was loud. It was really loud. The fan was right by your ear, and. Um, pretty soon everything got done. I turned, Michael had his things going. So I turned his stuff off, turned my stuff off and I hear come out with your hands up. And I went, Ooh, that can't be good. So I go walking out by the door and I peeked my head out and saw the same thing Mike did, you know, all these rifles pointed. And, uh, so I put my hands up right away, but then I'm in stocking feet, you know, and it's a rock gravel driveway. So I reached down for my to get my Crocs. Well, that didn't sit too well with that. That wasn't too good. <laughs> and uh, so they freaked out on that a little bit. I'm like, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. So I got out on the deck and then I, I walked back to the to the truck as well. I didn't know where Mike was. I had no idea. I, I just was doing, you know, obeying their orders for the time being. And uh, go ahead, Mike. You can take it from there. So they 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 got us separated, obviously, and. And the first thing they asked me is, you know, do you have some identification? And I said, yeah, I got it in my wallet, you know, and my my name and address. And, you know, I'm Mike, I'm from Connecticut and stuff. And, and so they go through my wallet, grab my license. And the first thing they find is my Florida, my, my Florida driver's license. So, so the guy is the guy's like, all right, Buster, what is it? You know, is it Connecticut? Is it Florida? I'm like, oh, man, geez, I, yeah, I got a house in Florida. I'm trying to explain myself. I said, what's this about anyhow? He goes, we're investigating a homicide. And that's when things got, you know, if the guns weren't enough and 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 all these guys all hopped up and you could see like these guys, their eyes were red and stuff like they they knew, you know, whoever got shot. They they. So then I'm like, oh, man, you know, I mean, if it wasn't if time didn't stand still before, it certainly did now. I'm thinking, oh, my God, how did we get? You know, how are we in this position? You know, we're a long ways from home. We're not in Kansas anymore. You know, we're a long ways from home. So we started, they got us together. I got out of the truck there and and they started asking us questions. And I'm going to tell both of you guys and the audience as well. It is so difficult, especially when, you know, your adrenaline is running. And they asked us questions like, well, what did the guy look like? I'm like, well, he's middle-aged balding guy. Well, guess what? I, I could use a little more grass on the top of my head, too. I might be middle-aged. I could probably fit that. Middle-aged balding. And I think they asked if he had facial hair. We're trying to figure out whether or not the guy, you know, just trying to recall from the 1 o'clock in the morning. I think he had – I'm not sure if he had a beard. And, and it's very difficult. So you can, you can see how people, like, you know, in some kind of crime scene, they want to know – how tall the guy was and what size he was. And it's, it, it is very, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to recount all those things, especially under pressure like that. Well, the guy turns out the guy, he had a Dodge pickup, just like mine. He had a blue Dodge pickup. I had a silver Dodge with a blue fish box. 
middle-aged balding, guess what? So we checked a lot of boxes. What had happened was one of the ranch hands or maybe the rancher's wife, I think, told them that this guy was living up the, the, the trail that we were camped on at the cabin, except he was just a little bit past our cabin. So when they saw us, they stopped. And, and it really wasn't until I said, listen, you got to call the, the, the landowner. They have a, a, the ring cameras right there. They got to have pictures of this guy. And they got the ring camera pictures that I sent to you, uh, Trevor. Mm -hmm. And and then they then they you know they actually told us to wait right here. And then they all went charging up, and we got tired of waiting, so we went back to the cabin. And then they came back. But while they were there, they're on the bullhorn. When the guy went to pull out, his siren went off. The guy obviously that was only three or four hundred yards from us heard the commotion, and apparently he drove the truck off into the woods. They had brought a dog up later that morning and actually had a helicopter that evening, I think it was. We went out that afternoon right up behind the camp there, Brad. Mm -hmm. They had that helicopter going back and forth looking for the guy and the truck and everything. But what was interesting is the last police officer that left the scene there, he said to us, he said, you know, um, in New Mexico, if you feel your life is threatened, you have the legal right to use lethal force he said of course we'd hope that you'd you'd call the police department first but there's no cell service out here and he also reminded us that we helped him the night before or that morning we'd helped the guy and if he needed help there's probably a pretty strong chance that he would come back and, and look for help again you know so i know both of us you know for God's sakes, I had the muzzle loader in bed with me. And I'm thinking, if I ever have to shoot this thing in the house, it's so full of smoke, you wouldn't see me anyhow, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, both of us were a little unnerved. They did catch the guy the next day. Um, he had told us that he was going to the ranch next door to get gas in the morning. And we told the detectives that. And one of them had said, oh, my God, my brother-in-law runs that ranch. And I think he took off. Um, the bottom line is the guy left left us that morning, went to the convenience store, the gas station. That's the only gas station like nearby. It was like 15 miles away. And he shot at a girl twice with the rifle and killed her over for like $20 worth of gas. He, um, the girl had a three-year-old child. And it was her first day on the job. Just, uh, you know, I wish I could tell you that, that the, you know, that this, you know, story had a happy ending, but, and it is kind of an interesting story, but at the end of the day, you know, the guy that was in the truck with us was cold-blooded killer, you know? And I, I really was, think that when he was, uh, when he came to our place and then he got us out there, by his truck uh, with the gas and everything. I really think he was looking for an angle to get Michael's truck and wallet and everything. Cause he had the firepower. It wouldn't have taken much if he would have been by himself or if he would have seen an opportunity, which we didn't give him. Or if Janet, my wife was with me in the front seat or if he'd gone to the cabin the night before and both of our wives had been there, this could have been a very different story. Um, yeah. 
And it, and it's crazy because like you guys don't know what you're dealing with at the time, but you guys just had enough smarts and to to try and you know keep him at bay. You know, like you knew that something wasn't right, and the situation could have been totally different. Like if you didn't have the wits about you, like he could have definitely done something, and and it could have been a different ending. Yeah, there, there's there's a trust me, I've and I'm sure both of us have thought about a hundred different scenarios. You know, there was a there was a woman with two kids that was in the cabin the night before us. She'd been there for a week, and oh and if he had gone to the cabin to try to steal her car or whatever, he you know probably could have really easily overpowered her and the kids or whatever. Um, I think he stopped at a couple of houses there. He stopped at the rancher's house I think the night before. Um, but the rancher heard the dogs barking, but thought it was a bear or something. So he never even went to the door. Um, the guy shot a couple of the rancher's calves and was eating them while he was there, but never really had a tent or, a, um, anything, any camping equipment or anything with him. Just very bizarre the guy's name was Joe Sanders. And you saw from the pictures, the guy looks like he's about 70 years old, but in actuality, he's only 52. He only lived about 50 miles away, but I have a feeling that, that, you know, you don't, you don't just shoot someone, you know, for $20 worth of gas, right? You, 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 you just run off maybe. And, and what, what's the worst thing could happen? They make you pay the $20. I mean, it's not even, a, is that a misdemeanor? I mean, you know what I'm saying? You don't shoot someone unless you're running from something. So he was arrested for first degree murder and held without bond. He was arrested for theft of a motor vehicle, and then there was one other charge. I don't remember what it was. I haven't really followed up on it, but I do know that he was being held without without bond. What, was there something else that he was running from to to then do this, or was he just lost his mind? Or I I wish I could tell you. I I really don't know. I kind of figured that that. You know, that he, you know, <laughs> they'd go find his family, you know, murdered, you know, something that he, mm-hmm. I don't know, something that he, he, he a, a crime that he committed somewhere else and he was running from the law. Why would you steal someone's truck and then shoot someone and kill them at it, you know, for $20 worth of, you know what I'm saying? It just, none of it really makes sense. And then and, to potentially you know, do it again. He was trying to do it again with you, you guys, like, more or less, right? I mean... I think he would have. I think I agree with Brad. He he would have taken our money in our truck in a heartbeat if he, had, if he had the opportunity. And as much as I'd like to think that Brad and I had our wits about us, you know, I, I'm I'm a God fearing guy, and someone was definitely looking after us. You know, there, there's no doubt about it. We were put in that position for a reason, and you know, maybe we saved someone else. Um, I wish we could have saved the girl. I, we had. No idea. You know, we did try to call the game warden that morning to say that, that, you know, this guy told us that he shot this elk, but we had no cell service. We had no way of getting a hold of anyone. He was, he was up that Canyon for a reason he was hiding out, but the problem was with the elk season coming up for muzzleloader, his world was getting really small. And now he's got a gasoline problem and a money problem and he can't get out of there. But he was definitely hiding from something. We just don't know what it is yet. That's crazy. And and the funny and not the funny, but the 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 crazy thing about the whole situation is how many of us as outdoorsmen 
put ourselves in this predicament year after year after year, time after time after time. I mean, how many times have, you know, myself been off grid by myself and the dog? You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. up shed hunting in the mountains somewhere or, you know, guys are off deer hunting in northern Wisconsin or northern Maine or, you know, there's a million places that we put ourselves so vulnerable to, 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 to this type of situation and we don't even, you know, we don't even know it, you know, like it could have been any of us or any outdoors. You don't expect that in, in, in those, right. The reason we go to those places are to get away from all this kind of stuff that's going on in the world that, you know, I always tell myself that I was born 40 years too late. Right. And, and you guys, even you're younger than me. So, um, of course, Brad's a lot older than me. So, but, uh, <laughs> but we're, realistically we go to these places to try to get away from what's going on in the world a lot of times and just try to clear our minds and and you know i had had some health problems and i was going to to see it for myself to see if i could really still do it you know and 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 um yeah just it it just was really unfortunate i i the police officer wanted to call my wife to verify my story and everything so I end up calling my wife, even though I don't know if you called Sandy right off, Brad. I think I don't know if you did or not, but I called Janet and just said, you know, are you driving? She's where are you? She says, yeah, I'm driving. I just left, you know, Jan's house. I'm like, well, you got to pull over. What's the matter? What's the matter? And I'm like, well, me and Brad just <laughs> had a little bit of an episode with this drifter that uh, that killed someone. And she's like, you're coming home, right? I'm like. Well, no, the chances of it happening again aren't too good. I mean, you know, we already got through the first one. Either. So, but yeah, we, we try to go to these places to get away from it. And it's unfortunate that in this case, it kind of followed us out there, you know, but, but you're right. I'm glad that we made a few decisions that made all the difference. Well, and to your point, Michael, um, when, when people are out there, um, doing this stuff that's not the first thing on your mind that these kind of things can happen but we all know that it's a possibility now my my wife being retired we take a camper and we'll go to different states and everything you know it's one thing to be out in the field and you're hunting you can run into things but you think about now my wife being back at the camp things can happen there too you have to be aware for everything no matter if it's her or if it's me you have to be prepared for things like this and if you're not, you're, you become an instant victim. And the funny thing is, like, you think about it all the time with, like, you know, people, criminals or whatever, or, you know, us as, you know, survivalists and and woodsmen, we say, like, if the world's going to end, we're going to go to X spot, you know, in the middle of nowhere because we can survive. Well, those places now the criminals or the bad people are thinking the same thing. I'm not going to be seen. I'm not going to be, you know, within service or they're going to have a tough time finding me. So we're actually going to the same place for different reasons, right? So we're, we're putting ourselves vulnerable and not even know it because you're in those situations. I mean, like when we go to Northern Maine, like, and just like, you know, weed, um, weed new mexico like it's a small town place everybody knows everybody they know when you know there's non-residents there and where they are and what they're doing and you don't realize it but they know what's going on there so they see this kind of stuff you know and like 
it's it's just it's crazy that something like that actually can actually happen to 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 us while we're there you know like we're in the middle of nowhere and you think it's a safe part of it is it's it's really kind of a shame too because you know when Janet and I were recently we were in a in a shopping plaza here and and a guy came out between two cars and tried to flag us down and um I love my wife but she's more of a city person and and very very cautious and she's like just go, speed up speed up speed up and I'm like well maybe the guy needs something and and you kind of lose your faith in mankind. You know, I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe I don't want to stop and help this guy. And I rolled my window down a little bit. And he's like, Hey, listen, there's an older couple over here. They, they're sitting in a hot car and the guy doesn't look too good. Do you, you have a pickup truck. I thought maybe you'd have some jumper cables. And I'm thinking, well, is this a scam? Are they going to try to steal my truck or, and I looked over and sure enough, there's an older couple and they're sitting in the car and the, you know, so I did get out and help them, but I did have that for a second, you know, maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe I shouldn't help them. And and the same thing with that guy, you know, if he would have just taken a gas can and went, I would have been fine with it. Just like, don't you can have the gas can, take the mm-hmm. gas can. But, but he certainly was, you know, very manipulative and, and it, 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 these criminals, they, that's just, they prey on people, you know, the psychology of people. But it, but it is a shame. It's, a, it's just a real shame that that's what this has come to. You know, now you're you're worried about helping someone because you're afraid they're going to harm you. Well, in the in the and and you guys will know this in you know earlier years, right? Like people would thumb their way across the country, and we would yeah. pick people up. And I remember as a kid, like you know, being 16 years old and driving to high school and guys would be walking down the side of the road. You see them when you're driving home and you're like, yeah, jump in the back of the pickup truck. I'll drive you across town. You know, I'm from a small town and it was just a normal thing. Or you see people pulled over on the side of the road. I don't know how many times as a younger lad I would, you know, roll down the window like, hey, you guys okay? Like, is everything all right when a car is broken down? But like those days have slowly diminished and it's not all that long ago that that has diminished where like, you cannot trust anybody because you think that something bad is going to happen because mm. of these these things that do happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So so um, they ended up catching him or Yeah, they caught him. I think they caught him the next day. He stole a like a side-by-side from neighbor's ranch. Mm-hmm. And they caught him, you know, driving down the road in the side-by-side, I think. It wasn't, I don't know, I think, I'm pretty sure that's what the yeah. way it played out. I don't know where they actually found him in relation to our camp. And there's I only one he, road there. I don't know where he thought he was going to go, but it was calling <laughs> with police. And yeah. He, he didn't hurt anybody else or anything in the meantime, in that day's time of at, at large? No, I think they had said that they were looking for the murder weapon. And I don't know if he, he left that in his truck or, or what, but I do know that they, like I said, they had dogs there. They had the helicopter. Interestingly enough, we stopped and saw an old friend of mine, the guy I used to outfit for. Um, he was about, uh, oh, geez, he was probably 80 miles away maybe. And he said he had a an alert on his phone that that they were looking for this guy and 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 the schools were locked down and, it was kind of a big deal out there, you know. Um, he said, "I never, 
seen anything like this, but keep your eyes out, Michael. I've got this alert on my phone about this guy that killed the killed someone at the uh, at the weed uh, gas station. And I ended up calling. We called me and Brad called him a day later and said, "Yeah, geez, we know all about it." You, we we gave him a ride and helped to get gas in his truck. <laughs> but and I'm on a I'm on a national fishing vessels commercial fishing safety board, and we had someone there from the government from NIASH, which is like national industrial and occupational health and safety or something and she had all kinds of statistics and commercial fishing is is one of the most dangerous it's the most dangerous occupation in the country right now and you know what the second most dangerous occupation in the country is right now convenience store worker really think about that for a second you know this poor girl first day on the job what's she making like you know ten dollars an hour you know i mean and and here this guy's trying to steal some gas and shoots her. I mean, it just, it's like I said, it just really that that part of it really just, yeah, just horrible, just very very tragic. She lost very her life tragic. over twenty dollars. Yeah, and was Whatever innocent. It was. Yeah, this is yeah. crazy. Oh God! They did have some surveillance footage, but I don't know if they, you know, how good of a picture they got of them, and then. I think someone across the street maybe saw something. I don't really know all the details. And after it happened, I just, I haven't looked any of it up. But you can look up shooting in Weed, New Hampshire, and probably find something on the internet about it. But New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico. Oh, yeah, New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico. Sorry about that. So how did the hunting trip turn out? Because there was success there, and I bet you that, and, and you know, the emotional aspect of it is that, after this probably happened, there was a whole different, there was a whole different mindset in camp. Camp was probably not the same than when it began for you guys. Yeah, I would say that that was true. Although we 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 scouted real hard and we hunted real hard, um, I think that going in, I had some very high expectations. There's some some really really killer bulls in that unit. And I had some very high expectations that that's what I was setting my sights on. And I wasn't going home with anything less than that. But after that whole thing happened, um, I had a very different perspective. Now, I had a tag. Brad didn't have a tag. So um, I had a friend of mine also that showed up a couple days later that was that's from New Mexico. And uh, he actually showed up the day before the hunt. So Brad and I took four days and really scoured that entire area. It found some really great areas. We found some mule deer, um, you know, just, just realized where we wanted to be and where we didn't want to be. And finally decided that, you know, it's like fishing, Trevor, you know, you don't leave fish to find fish. We got, we got, we had elk right in our backyard and, and that's where we decided ultimately decided to chase them. So it's only a five-day season, and this year, uh, muzzleloaders were primitive. So there were no um, modern muzzleloaders. There's no uh, no scopes on them, and I don't think you can use, like, the rifle conversion. Uh, I'm not completely sure about all the regulations. I know the scopes for sure, and then there was something about, you know, like I used just a break action with a with – a, um, um, you know, a primer, you know, just a regular 
regular muzzle loader. And uh, so Lance and myself spent the first three days trekking up and down the mountains. And I'd had some, I had a heart procedure in September. So I knew that I was going to be a little bit slower and not as probably not in as good a shape as I would have liked to have been in. But I also knew that ultimately I didn't want that to be the deciding factor on my hunt that I was going to, you know, this was either going to be the best hunt I ever went on or it was going to be the worst and maybe last hunt I ever went on. You know, if I had a heart attack up on that mountain, then God would bless me with being in a beautiful surrounding and, and that would have been it. Right. And, and, you know, Brad knew all this. And, and again, I'm, I'm very thankful that, that he was able to be there. Now the first couple of days, Brad would basically spot for us. He would be up on a high piece um, where it was nice and warm. And then, we'd be out there in the cold on the mountains. Of course, that isn't necessarily true either because he was up in the freezing cold wind and, and probably grossly unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had some close calls. You know, we had elk at 50 yards. We had elk at 120, a bull. I just couldn't get a shot at it. And again, with open sights, it's a little bit different than putting a feet on it, you know, scope. Mm-hmm. Um we had a herd come by relatively close and usually the bulls are the last ones. Well, it, for whatever reason, and this, you know, group of elk that, that came by us, the, the bull was the first one. So I'm locked up waiting for the end of the, the last one. And there's no bull at the end. It was cows. And then I looked down the Canyon and the bulls was the first one. So, you know, it just was one of those things where things just didn't line up. And Brad had seen a really nice, a really, really nice bull um, that was very close to camp. And we decided, all right, you know, we're going to go up and check this out. So Lance and I went up behind the camp and we couldn't find any bit of sign at all. This was just a bull that probably got bumped out from somewhere and was watering down the pasture and then had moved on to somewhere else. And this is... This is late in the day on the third day. So there's only two more days left. And already the bugling is starting to, it, it wasn't quite as strong in the morning. We only heard one bugle. We had heard four shots out of the same area. We're on public land, or four shots in the same area that we were in very close to us. So I told Brad that we hadn't really, you know, hunted. We hadn't been in the field together hunting. And I said to him, I said, you know, we just got to go a little old school on this. There was a water hole, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a dirt tank in the in the crotch of this canyon. And uh, I told Brad, let's just go sit up there. You know, it's just the wind's going to drop out. Let's just go sit up there. And it ended up being one of those really magical nights where we're walking in on a cattle trail. <clears throat> excuse me, we're walking in on this cattle trail so we could walk very quietly through the through the pasture and into the woods. And the woods were much more open than I thought they would be. I thought that they'd be more pinion and um, there'd be more lower brush, but it was a lot more open than I thought it would be <clears throat> overall in that unit. So we get up to the water hole and uh, we found a couple of junipers and we weren't really camouflaged that well, but, you know, we're just sitting on the edge of this dirt tank and um, we watched the, uh, remember the turkeys that came down, Brad? Yeah, 19 of them. 
Yeah, a bunch of Miriam turkeys and the 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 the, the toms are watering, and uh, just really cool to see. And as as the as the the shadows grew, you know how it just kind of all of a sudden the, the the noise of the wind and everything just goes, and you just hear like that hum of the like the summer bugs, you know the the hum, and and the the air is still and kind of gets a little heavy and stuff. And I look to my left, now Brad's on my left, I'm sitting on Brad's right, my muzzleloader is on the ground, and uh, we've got this little Charlie Brown Christmas tree in front of us, a little juniper, like I said, I look to my left, like, Brad, there's a bull. He's like, what? I'm like, don't move, there's a bull. And this guy was trotting, you know, he was trotting right up to, to the water, and there was a big berm that came up to the top of that water tank. So once he was underneath that berm, I'm able to grab my muzzle loader, put it across my legs, and this bull just came up on this berm, and and he wasn't what 15 yards away. Yeah, too close. He, he wasn't the the biggest bull on the mountain. We probably heard him that morning trying to to steal a couple cows. Um, he definitely was on the smaller side of the bulls that we saw in that unit. We saw some real corker bulls. This is a, excuse me, a nice respectable bull. Um, after all we've been through here, God's given us this bull on flat ground. This, this thing was served up on a silver platter and I did my best to screw it up by shooting a little bit low and I end up running up the mountain and uh, mountain, the hill and, and shoot them again, reload and shot them again. And, and dropped them right there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, I, I think that both of us were, you know, we were hugging up there like, like, like high school prom date, you know what I mean? <laughs> we were, we were very excited that, that we could actually, you know, close it out and, and be successful. Um, it, it was a five by five. Um, it was pretty much flat ground. Once we got it, you know, down, we, we, we quartered it up there and, and got it all hanging in the trees that night. Then the next day, the three of us packed it out. And uh, it was, as far as elk hunting goes, you're not going to get an easier pack out than that. As soon as we got down off the hill, it was all flat, like packed cattle trails till we got to the truck. And it wasn't very far, three quarters of a mile, maybe. Um, as far as an elk pack out, I mean, I've guided elk before. This was this was an absolute dream. Um, so there were just a lot of positives. I'm so glad that that we started the hunt together and we ended the hunt together. You know, um, that's probably one of the most the thing I'm most thankful for. That's amazing for it all to come together, though, and just go a little old school and enjoy it. Bring a little East Coast to the West Coast and sit over a watering hole and just kind of take it all in. I mean, it's that's kind of really what it's all about, honestly. Yeah, it was just one of those nights when everything was, like I said, we walked in. I think we saw six or eight mule deer when we were walking in, right? Uh, just everything was kind of on their feet. And I do like that that was the last day of the of the good moon phase. You know, I'm a big fan of the moon phase and the dark of the moon and, and the hunter's moon. So that was the last day of the you know, more active, supposedly more active days, but more times than not, that seems to be, that does correlate to where I've had success before. 
And, uh, you know, we didn't call at all. We just, now there were other bulls in the area up on the top of the hill as we're gutting this thing. Um, there was another bull that kept bugling into the night. Um, so maybe if we had waited or maybe we charged up that hill after it or something, you know, maybe we would have got into something else, but I got to say that this was probably one of the most satisfying animals that I've ever harvested in my life. And I've got some nice animals, but this one was very, very satisfying. It just goes to show you, like, we get caught up. All of us get caught up in inches of horn and, and uh, you know, scoring and what's on our trail cams. And, and, and it, that's all. That's a lot of fun. It's a lot of good. But like I said, you know, God served this up to us. And, and I just was, you know, very, very thankful that that's the way the end, the, the hunt turned out. Of course, it's always a little bittersweet when it ends, you know, that means you're going back home again, but yeah, it real, real, in my mind, very successful, very satisfying, um, yeah, the only thing I would have changed is maybe that girl would have lived at the convenience store, but mm. some of that stuff's out of our hands. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a, a hunt to remember for sure, and I'm glad you guys were able to come home safe and had a successful hunt. Um, it's It sounds like there was a lot of stuff going on. The mental roller coaster, I could only imagine that you were enduring and sp- the lack of sleep while driving and scouting and all these things that we go through as outdoorsmen, I could only imagine having to deal with such a thing while you're there. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. I really couldn't. I don't think anybody can, but we can learn from it. Yeah. Well, one sure. thing I did want to add in there. Um, and, and part of what we're talking about here is situational awareness, whether it be with this uh, joker that pulled all this stuff or, you know, Michael talking about his his hunt there um, by the pond, what he didn't mention, um, and it's very important to note, is the situational awareness. We are sitting there, and he's talking about how nice and calm it was and the sounds and the smells and everything. But we had cattle around us on this pond, and they were kind of moseying, and they were going on their way. And then all of a sudden, they all focused their way all their uh, attention down the draw from where we walked in on. And Michael said, there's something coming up that draw. He picked up on that immediately. He said, they see something. We can't see it right now. He said, there's something coming. And wasn't too much longer. That's when Michael says, there's a bull right there. Don't move. Of course, I got a camera. I wanted to film the whole thing, and now I can't even grab it. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) the rest is uh, history with... uh, you know, the bull that he shot. And, and, you know, honestly, Brad, you bring up a good point. Us as, you know, woodsmen and stuff, the situational awareness is a huge thing that we we deal with every day in the outdoors or, or trying to, and we become survivalists, you know, and we start to pay attention to little things, you know, broken twigs and, and all this stuff while we're in the woods. And, it's crazy that, you know, all those years of training that we've had since little kids to learn all of these things as woodsmen would then in in turn be used in reality while you're out there. Where like for you guys, in my opinion, like when, when hearing the story and stuff like you guys, you know, were in a situation 
that was a little bit different. Like, you guys deal with this stuff on a daily basis as woodsmen, but your situational awareness when when brought into the situation that you were in, you started to think all of those things as a survivalist. And those are things that like, you don't realize, but you're in training for those things your entire life. Right. Like it's crazy. More importantly, Trevor, you don't have to think about them after a while. Right. You just, it's like any muscle memory or whatever, you know, repetitive thing, you know, you, you, as much as we'd like to think we're a civilized race now, there's, still instinct and i guarantee that all four of you guys the three four of us on this video right now or this this thing have had instances where you know you felt like something is watching you or you know i've been to africa where where the bushmen they won't point at an animal they'll open the palm of their hand because it's more welcoming if they point it's an aggressive so they don't point at animals they open the palm of their hand towards an animal and all these things that there, there's some truth to those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're in a stand and you're so focused on a deer and you start getting a little hopped up over it, next thing you know, that deer whips his head around and he stares right at you. Like he knows there's something there. And you can call it whatever you want, instinct, sixth sense, whatever it is. But there's something there that there's something to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your energy alone. I mean, that, that, that plays a big thing. And one of the things they say too, with like white tails or any type of animal is not to, to look them right in the eyes or stare at them. Right. Because then they start to feel that sixth sense. And that, those are things that us as like just survivalists. And as you said, like instinctual, those things that we, we pay attention to, but you know, the moral of the story here is just, you know, situational awareness. And we have to pay attention when we're in these places because we're not only there for good, but we're, we're also vulnerable to, 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 to harm and, and bad things and travel, you know, like I feel as if there's more stories like this that are out there, but not shared. And I think, you know, I can't thank you guys enough for sharing this with us and, and, and the listeners so that they can kind of understand how this works and, and to be a little bit, you know, more aware of what's going on while they're out there so that they're not vulnerable to a situation like this. A lot of us prepare for these trips. You know, you have first aid kits, you, you do, you have in reach or whatever you need to, to, to get yourself out of a bad spot. But, you know, I've never been a huge proponent of carrying, although I've thought about a a lot more uh, carrying a a weapon on a regular. It's just, it, it, it just, you know, it's something that all of us have to justify in our own, in our own minds. And, and, but it's just one more thing that, you know, that, that all of us should be aware of just as we have our in reach and everything else that, that tries to keep us safe or when we're in, in places off the grid. Like we say, you know, you can't put your seatbelt on after the accident. You have to always wear your seatbelt. So always be prepared for any type of situation that could be thrown at you. Like just the way that it goes. Well, guys, I have one last question before we let this thing go. And I can only imagine the answer to this, but I want to ask you guys, what drives you guys outdoors? Go ahead, Mike. No, you got it. He's got enough of me. For me, it's, um, and, and why I choose bow hunting too, um, the challenge to 
kind of restrict yourself to, uh, for me, the short range weapon. You're out there one on one uh, with the animals, or in a case where you know you got deer all around you, you um, the the challenge of going out there. And I used to be a trapper. I trapped all through high school and so forth. And the challenges in trapping um, and learning the animals and getting trying to so to speak get in their head. Uh, what do they do? What are their habits? It's so fascinating. And then you, uh, when when I uh, segued into to whitetail hunting mostly, and uh, a little bit into pronghorn and so forth out west, um, the chess game, as you all know, um, to to get whooped and to tip your hat to the animals and say you won this one, good on you, but I'll get you next time. Um, that is what drives me every, you know, my, my wife will say something to the effect of, you know, you, you've already done that or you already, you, what is the, what keeps motivating you? What keeps driving you? But it's every situation is different. Every deer, uh, has its own unique characteristics. So if every single one is a challenge and, uh, that, that's what drives me just, just playing this chess game and getting out there, uh, is, is fascinating to me. I can't get enough of it. I just can't. How about you, Mike? I got to hear I actually, you know, I have a little bit of different. I, I do enjoy the challenge. You know, obviously, as soon as you pull the trigger, um, the hunt's over. And and I always find that kind of depressing, right? I mean, the 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 challenge is, is getting into their into their bedrooms or into their, you know, learn their habits and, and outsmarting to the point where where you could harvest them. Um, as soon as you pull the trigger, then then the hunt's over. And, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the, to me, that's always been kind of the downside of it. Um, but I do like meeting, meeting people in other places. I like traveling. And, and a lot of times the hunting is kind of a segue to that, to, to, to being somewhere else. But it's also a personal challenge you know, not only not just physically, but mentally, you know, putting yourself in a spot where, you know, you have elevation or, or terrain you're not used to, or, um, and then again, learning just the habits of the animal. Well, um, I do find do-it-yourself hunts are extremely fulfilling. And I like the idea of, of, you know, accepting that challenge. And Brad says, you know, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. And you got to be prepared to tip your hat to those animals. And, I mean, they're fighting for their lives. Um, I'm, I'm left-eye dominant and right-handed, right so I've never been quite the, the bow hunter that Brad was just because of my limited range. And um, I do enjoy it, but, but I also enjoy muzzleloader and, and rifle. And I just like being out in the in the great outdoors i mean we've got a wonderful wonderful opportunity in the united states that there's so much public land and yeah some of it is oversubscribed especially in places where there's um a, a large population large population of hunters but you know that land belongs to all of us and like i said we 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 did this public land elk hunt and we're able to to be successful and very thankful for that Absolutely. I absolutely love it. And guys, I can't thank you guys enough for, for sharing this message with everybody and, and, you know, your love and passion for the outdoors and, and taking the time to join us and, 
and kind of share with with our listenership. We we really appreciate it, guys, and we can't thank you guys enough, honestly. And it means it means a lot. And hopefully, this will save somebody in in the near future. And you know, if they're ever in that situation, not that we hope that, but if they are, hopefully, this this they'll ha- this will be in the back of their minds and and persuade somebody to do something a little bit different. So we can't thank yeah, you guys for sure. enough for that, honestly. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. It's been our pleasure. Absolutely. And for everybody else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. <laughs>